Welcome in, guys. Thanks for coming to the South of Scruffy podcast. Thanks for listening. My name is Ben Fields. I am your host. Today we have Peter Moore on the podcast. Peter Moore is a film and television guy. Uh, worked at HGTV DIY for a long time, uh, doing their promos, kind of marketing their networks. Uh, he's a he's an encyclopedia of of film and television knowledge, man. Uh, he was at Turner Broadcasting for a while, did a bunch of cool stuff there, and uh, he's a Rush fan too. Uh, so we got into that a little bit, uh, but I think you guys are going to really enjoy Peter's story. It's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me. I hope you guys feel the same way. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the first couple episodes too. I appreciate it. You guys turned out and uh, listened up, and and we got some good stories out there, I think. Uh, the last one, Rebecca Ridner was on, and she got some really great notes to her uh, from some people that listened in that thanked her for telling her story and uh, and and sent me some stuff too, that thanking her, or saying that they loved her story. And, and so thank you guys for doing that and for reaching out. Uh, you can find us at South of Scruffy uh, is the Instagram handle, and then uh, South of Scruffy at gmail.com. You can send us an email. Uh, be sure to uh, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Find us there, and uh, be sure to subscribe and 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 listen up and all that. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, let's 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 hear about Peter Moore. Come on now, Peter Moore, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Moore. So how has been the response to your first, I see you've posted two? Two podcasts so far. What, like, is there a click rate? Is there a listen rate? I mean, how do, how do yeah. you know if? So you can tell, um, you can tell how many people have downloaded them and what platforms they used okay. to download them. Um, and so far I've gotten over 200 downloads for the okay. first one. That's not bad. Um, so I, I, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't even know how a podcast works. I've, yeah. I've never listened to a podcast. You want to wear those so headphones? You, so you, I will. Yeah. So you download them. It's on your phone, right? Yeah. Through the uh, there's an Apple Podcast app on your phone, and then there's third party apps as well that you can download. So it's not a streaming thing. Oh, are we doing this? Well, let's, yeah. I see. Okay. Lean in there. All right. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not a streaming thing. You can download it to your phone. You can listen to it um, whenever you want. I think it's a cool medium because um, it's a way to passively take in content. If you're driving your car, you can't be watching a video or shouldn't be watching a video or looking at photos or whatever. So right. it's a good way to get good information without having to be fully uh, engaged all five senses you know, at the same time. And Well, it's also, good, I think, a good way to get information from people that unless they wrote a book and have an audio book, you might not otherwise have heard from. Agreed, 100%. Um, and it's it's a little bit tough to do like research on people because of the people that I know they don't, there's not a lot out there on, on them. Um, so I think it's kind of a, an audio uh, record of, of people's lives, which I think is pretty cool. It'll always be around forever. Well, thank you. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for being here, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me here to air my grievances <laughs> with you. On a national level, you've got you've got a lot of them. I'd I do, say, I do. All. So I, I can't believe you're actually giving me this platform. I know we might need more than an hour for this one. <laughs> um, you and I have known each other a little while now. It's funny. I, uh, I was thinking about it earlier and about how I was gonna 
let you know what I thought about you before I knew you. And I you know, saw the guy in the seersucker suit, the executive standing back there watching the monitor when we were doing commercial shoots. Mm-hmm. I was like, that guy looks important. Mm-hmm. He looks like a big deal. And, and it was a couple years later. Well, that was later, part of the facade. Was, <laughs> he tricked us all, man. Indeed. Yeah, it worked. And it was a couple years before somebody, and I forget who it was, was like, you like the string cheese incident? Peter Moore likes the string cheese incident. And I was like, here's my end with that executive. Now I have it. So we were doing a shoot of a Vanilla Ice promo for his TV show. And I remember walking up to you when we had a little bit of downtime. I said, "Um, I hear you're somewhat of a string cheese incident fan. (laughs) You said, as a matter of fact. Well, with my arms akimbo. Yes. (laughs) I had to take the stance. I had to arms akimbo say, why, as a matter of fact, I am a string cheese fan. And uh, we've seen the band together a lot now. We have. Yeah. We have. It's, 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 it's a great family. Yeah. And you're a big music fan. Music, music's been a big part of your life, it seems like. Yeah, from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, uh, having the Archie's uh, Sugar Sugar 45 and blaring it out the window and what was that, like 67, 68? So, I mean, yeah. I mean, the music is on my, my father had the console stereo where you had the turntable in the middle and the, I mean, it looked like yeah. a piece of furniture. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he would play Al Hurt and uh, Herb Albert and Tijuana Brass, all those kind of swinging 60s things. And uh, yeah, so music has been a big a big part of my life. And he was fine with that until he would go to play a record and he would put it on and it was completely scratched because while he was at work, I thought I knew how to work that contraption. Yeah. And of course, I ruined all of his Al Hurt And Dad was mad. I, he was not happy. Yeah. Well, I'm, I know you're a really big Rush fan, yeah. and I'm sorry to hear about Neil Peart. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so sad. It is. Um, I'm shocked at how many people uh, came out of the woodwork to profess their love for that man's body of work. I mean, well, rock stars to lay people. Yeah, I mean, uh, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys uh, sent his condolences. You know, So, yeah, it's just so terribly sad. Yes, uh, I literally was— a 14-year-old growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, the summer of 1974, when Working Man first played on the radio station there, which was WMMS, and it was getting traction. I was at a summer camp, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, but I was at a summer camp, and when I came home, there was this thing called Rush, and all my friends were like, Rush, Rush, Rush. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? How old were you? 14. Okay. 14. And that was 74. And... um, uh, you know, since then, it was really just, it just, it, it, it just touched me. And since then, their, uh, their music, uh, the, the lyrics just spoke to me. And then this is what they've always talked about. And this was what they were always kind of derided for was that they really spoke to, uh, you know, if you were into, um, you know, panty songs and, and silly rock songs and love songs and all that, Rush was not for you. Right. And it was proggy I, and nerdy, right? Well, yeah, bit. but but it just had interesting, you know. It, it was it was the music. I mean, three guys making all this music, but it was it was the lyrics. And yes, it was fantastical. And he gave a lot of credit to some folks that, um, you know, Ann Rand and, and a number of folks that you know kind of ticked off a, a few folks relative to, you know, socialism. Really, but uh, and here we are. But but it was really it was just. Uh, long story short, uh, they really you know that the, the the phrase. They created the soundtrack of my life has been overused right. when describing right. Rush, but I can honestly say that they wrote the music, they wrote the soundtrack for my life, and yeah, for every, better part of forty five years for you, right? Yeah, indeed. Well, yeah, I mean, literally, they burst onto the scene in the summer of seventy four, and so, but literally, I mean, it was you know when I was preparing to leave Cleveland and and try to pursue a, a career in television, they had this song called Prime Mover, and. Uh, the, one of the lyric lines is, the point of departure is not to return. 
so that I knew that was that was kind of my foot in the back. Get out of here. The point of departure is not to return. Just anything can happen. Go go seek this. Um, when I was um, a little dismayed with some corporate television, or actually a broadcast cable television, um, they had a, and I was like, you know, maybe I should strike out on my own. And they had a song called Roll the Bones. And the whole thing was, why does it happen? Because it happens. Roll the bones. You know, so there was, when my mother was passing, um, they had a song called How It Is. And the whole notion is just, it's, you, you just, it, it's just the way it is. And you can't change it, and you're just going to have to roll with it. So it just, it really was that soundtrack of my life. And your muse a little bit, it seems like, or something that inspired you to do things that, you know, that gave you the go-ahead to do some things. Well, indeed. And, and also something that of the three of them that stuck with me was commitment to craft. It was, you know, they, it was a, uh, one of their first breaks was when uh, Kiss pulled them on tour and had them open a number. And they said, you know, say what you will about Kiss. They're, at, at the end of the day, they know how to put on a show. And their fans leave satisfied. Right. And it's like, say what you will about the face and the spitting of the blood and the fire. They're professionals. And they learned a lot from that. So it really, uh, and I remember kind of recounting this to some friends throughout the career. I was like, you know, I just, they taught me about quality and they taught me about commitment. And they taught me about, don't worry about what the critics say. Mm-hmm. You know, recently, you know, I saw Neil gave some guy advice, you know, be your own hero. You know, don't don't follow. Right. Be your own hero. Yeah. So I know there was just a lot to that, but uh, and I well, I want to move on, but just to be able to put into words my sadness for this is that you know Neil in about 90, 1996, lost his twenty one year old daughter in a car accident, and then a year later his wife. Right. So, yeah. And uh, he always lamented about how he was sad that he was uh, he was not really there for Selena, which was her name. His but daughter I was, or his wife? His daughter. Okay. His daughter, his wife's name was Jackie. But he said, I wasn't really there for Selena growing up because I was always on the road. Yeah. I mean, these guys played, you know, 300 dates a year. I mean, yeah. he, he just was not home. Yeah. And he always lamented about how he was not there for Selena. And when he got the second kick at the can, when he remarried after his ghost rider motorcycle tour, remarried, has a now a 10-year-old daughter. Her name was Olivia. And uh, I'm just, I'm heartbroken because he claims he wasn't there. He feels that he wasn't there for his first daughter. And now we know he's he got another gonna, chance to get it right. Right. And yeah. now he's not going to be there for Olivia either because now he's gone. It was cancer? Brain cancer. Yeah. So now there's that. There's the fact that he maintained his privacy to the very end. I was a very private person. Uh, song Limelight, uh, I Can't Pretend a Stranger is a Long-Awaited Friend. Um, you know, he, uh, he had, br- he battled brain cancer, Giglio blast, whatever it might be three and a half years. And I've of course done some research on it. it it's a horrible fucking disease. Yeah. We and, have a friend that had something similar. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. But the fact that he battled that for three and a half years and nobody knew anything about that. Mm-hmm. And then he passed on a Tuesday, Tuesday, the seventh and word didn't get out until about four o'clock on Friday, the 10th. Mm. You know, that so it was just, that private. That, that, exactly. It was that privacy yeah. and that, um, and everybody honored that because I mean, you didn't hear, you didn't hear a peep about anything. So yeah. anyways. Well, I'm sorry about that, man, because I know that's a big, big part of your life. Really well, big part yeah. Of your and life. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to blather on. No, no, that, no. But you, as you no. can tell, I, it's good. I'm I, a fanboy. <laughs> just, I, I'm a, I'm an unabashed fanboy. That's good. I love it. So I ended up uh, going to, um, a place called Culver Military Academy okay. uh, for preparatory school. 
Okay, is that like a boarding school? You it was. It was a. Mil- it's a military academy, and and you you move away from home and you Ex- live in the dorms with all your classmates. Exactly. It was five and a half hours away. It's basically in the cornfields of northern Indiana. It's about forty five miles south of South Bend. Okay. Cool. So you finished up with Culver. Did you go to college? I did. Where'd you the, go? I went to Ohio University. Uh, okay. Yeah. Down in Athens, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, a very well known, respected journalism school. Okay. And so I went there for me and actually seven of my buddies from Culver, who were all somewhat from Ohio. We all decided to go to OU in the fall of 79. And uh, I studied radio and television because I thought I wanted to be in radio. Yeah. Because I love music so much because right. music was such. I mean, I, you and know, you I, loved writing and storytelling too, right? No, I hadn't figured it out yet. Really? No. I mean, I, I came out of Culver um, uh, puffed up. I came out confident. Yeah. I, I, I came out the way they wanted me to come out. Right. I, was, I was confident. I was disciplined. I had respect for people, yep. I, you know, all those things. And as much as I griped about being there, I remember my mama coming down to OU the first October and I took her to lunch and I just said, I want to thank you for keeping me there. Because I'd, I'd call about every other Sunday. I was like, can you just please get me the hell out of here? Like my daddy would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll work on it. My mom said, well, you're not going anywhere. But so I finally thanked her. I said, thank you for making me stay there because it really was the most impactful thing on my life. How old were you when you did, did that? Uh, again, I, I got there at 14, came out at 19, went to OU at 19. Uh, was so six it was right s- after you graduated that yeah, you were already I, thankful that she that she did it? Because yeah. a lot of times you're 50 and like, yeah. Mom, you know what? You did this thing. Yeah, yeah you were, <laughs> And you I got to thank the hell out of you for it. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't but that October that she came to visit and I realized yeah. what a shithead I had been. And she deserved to thank you. Yeah. So it was a great moment. Yeah. But uh, six or seven of buddies of mine from Culver decided to go to OU. And at the time in the 70s, OU was known as the party school of the Midwest. Really? So Is we kind of went. Kent? No, Kent was uh, May 4th, 70. Okay. Gotcha. But no, it was just it was just a party school. And yeah. They, 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 so anyway, so we went from a, mil- a, a regimented military academy where you didn't do any of that to the party school in the Midwest. And, uh, and it, you know. <laughs> imbibed i kind of left the rails a little bit <laughs> i'm not gonna lie all, all they might have kicked me out the the college did so you so yeah. you took some time off at the I university's the request i got the letter we've all yeah. done it yeah did you ever go back i did i actually went back uh i went for one year then stayed home and got a job went back for a was it they were on semesters yeah so then go back for a semester on board so i go back and get a job go back for a semester so i, th- I think after about three of those rotations they said Thanks for playing. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got the letter, and then I had to put on a suit, and I went down and met with the admissions people. And they said, still no? <laughs> no, no. I, 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 did, I talked them out of it enough to get a transfer. Okay. I wasn't expelled, but I, I, I talked my way back into it and then uh, went to University of Akron. Okay. Because uh, they actually had, uh, at the time, a, a really good film school. They had an, ex- an excellent uh, Dennis Lynch, I think was his name. Was a former NYU film professor, and somehow ended okay. up in Akron at the same time I was there. And and then, so at at Akron, it was the it was what kind of program was it? Was it a film school kind of program? It was. It, you, it was a, okay. a film, um, probably like an M. Uh, uh, what would it be? A BFA? Yeah, yeah, Bachelor of Fine Arts, Arts with some 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 focus on on some film stuff. Yeah. Was there a journalism focus too? No, was yeah, just, that was that was film. They were, okay. So, so that so OU worked out great until they kicked me out, but. The thing about OU was I thought I wanted to go into radio because I was so into music. Yeah. I thought how great this would be. Sure. I'd get to listen to music all day, talk a little bit, and this is this is a career. 
Then I heard my voice. It sounds great to me. Peter. Well, you're very kind, but at, at, at the time, I'm like, oh my god, little squeaky. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I was, you know, still kind of going through the change. Yeah. And yeah, but it was. Just, I just uh, I heard my voice. I'm like, oh god, I can't be. Everybody hates their own voice, though. I'm I know. Sure. Yeah. Apparently, yours is great. It sounds awesome. Well, you're very kind. Yeah, I've got headphones on. I can hear it. <laughs> so um, so uh, Akron was a uh, a film study. It was a television study and a film study. And met a bunch of wonderful guys that I still t- stay in touch with. Had wonderful work groups, and uh, but I, I I was like working. And I, that, that you liked me, working. I did. Wait. So I was always tending bar and going to school, doing something and going to school. Yeah. And it was always, you know, school was always kind of secondary to the yeah working. to making the money. Right. Because that's why I kind of because I never did take if if I because I never did get a degree. Okay. And we may get to that, but I ne- yeah. I never did get a college degree. And if you're if if I still have transcripts. You'll probably notice I never took one required course. It was, it was all the ones that you wanted to take? Yeah, it was yeah. It was all film study and film editing yeah. and, and audio recording or whatever it was they had available. Right. You know, I might, I might throw in a uh, an English class every now and again yeah. because there's a reading involved. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but if I guess if you look at my transcripts, they're, they're, there's no required courses. They're all electives. <laughs> they were all film. I took badminton 101 <laughs> three times. No? I, I, I never took, I, I never went the bowling route. It was always, yeah, film editing or something. Um. So did you, did you just easily that easy transition? Did you start working in the film business then for, while you were in, while you were at school at Akron? Well, as as also uh, somewhere in between that OU Akron phase when I was bouncing in and out of school, I landed at what used to be the Richfield Coliseum, which was the big uh, concert hall. It's where the Cavaliers used to play. Okay. It, uh, it was the big arena, but it was out in Richfield, Ohio, which was like a good twenty miles or so from downtown. No one still to this day knows why they built the thing out there, but that's where all the bands, Zeppelin, and that's where gotcha. they played. That's where all the bands. But I ended up uh, working security there. Okay. So I would work security at night and study during the day. Who were some of the shows you worked security for? Do you remember? Uh, Ozzy. Oh, nice. Yeah, I remember Ozzy coming yeah. in, and, and Ozzy walked by, and everybody's like, oh, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. But at the time, his drummer was Tommy Aldridge. Who's that? Who was the, he was the original drummer for Black Oak, Arkansas. But then he also was drummer for a time with one of my favorite guitarists named Pat Travers. So yeah. like, here goes Ozzy. Here goes, I think Ru- Rudy Zarzo was the bass player. Um, I know for a fact the fellow who died, Randy Rhodes, was the guitarist. But I was excited, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Yeah. And, and, he was and like, Ozzy's like, what the hell, yeah, man? Exactly. I'm, I'm the star here. Yeah, and Tommy looked at me and like, wow, oh, oh hi. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, out of all these people, you want to say hi to me? He's like, yeah. <laughs> You're the drummer for Black Oak, Arkansas, and Pat Travers. <laughs> Big fan of your work. Yeah, indeed. the early stuff. Yeah, but it was so cool because you know I had this uniform, you know, like little pointed hat, looked like a little miniature cop. And but I'd get to go out and watch uh, sound, sound check. checks exactly. Yeah. So I, I'll never forget <clears throat> standing out there at 21 years old in my cute little outfit with my shiny shoes, watching Randy Rhodes just absolutely shred uh, a sound check. And I was like, oh, that's really super cool. And I went back and work security exactly. <laughs> yeah. So did that parlay itself? Well, yeah, it was, it was a matter of friends knowing friends. And again, in school, work at the Coliseum. Out of school, work on a garbage truck. In school, do something else. Well, so when I got to Akron, uh, I, I took a job at a bar called Mugs. And uh, just friends of friends, people that I'd met. Uh, I worked at a department store. Oh, I forgot about the department store. Go to school, work at a department store. Yeah. Go to school. Garbage truck. Exactly. Yeah. So there was a department store, and I met a very dear friend there who I'm still very, very dear friends with, Eric. And he had a friend who was the business manager of the production company. There was an in-house production company. For the arena? At the old Richfield Coliseum. Yeah. Because they were one of the first arenas 
to have these, what they were called Ida 4. I think that was the name of the projector, but these huge screens. And they would project as shot by us, whatever was happening. So whether it was ice falling, live switching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was a control room and there was uh, so whatever happened on the uh, monster truck rallies, mm. uh, ice capades, whatever happened, there was a four person camera crew and, a, and an audio guy and a TD mm-hmm. up in a control room switching, switching for the all per- this four. for the, for, for the four screens. Yeah. So uh, long story short, which is probably way too late by now, <laughs> but Eric introduced me to a fellow named Dennis. And Dennis was the business manager of that production company. Okay. He came into Mugs. Okay. I got him drunk. Uh-huh. He offered me a job. Awesome. And I'm like, here I go. I'll take it. I'll take it. So uh, I'll never forget going into one of the first. He started me out like on an ice capage thing. Mm-hmm. And he put me down on the floor and he's like, here. So if you if you turn this thing on the right handle, it's it's got a, like a wheel. If, if, you, if you roll it this way, it zooms in this way. Out. This thing on the left, it, it, you twist it with your wrist. That's your focus. It's like, here, why don't you just kind of work on this? And he said, if anybody asks you, tell them you've done this before. <laughs> and that was my first job. The first, my, the, the, the first advice I ever received was, if anybody <laughs> asks you, tell them you've done this before. Did you carry that with you throughout my the entire year? career? Yeah. So, trial by fire then, Dennis. Put you right into it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget the uh, uh, the director at the time, a fellow named John, because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know that if you went in this way with the with the wheel and with the zoom turned wheel. that way, that you could follow focus. And Yeah. And, but the thing was, he put me down on an ice capades thing on the floor. Mm-hmm. And all they do, all it is is follow focus. Like you've got- Oh, wow. You've got like you Brian Boitano at that end, yeah. and you've got to follow him as he does the thing. And That's follow, hard. Hell Yeah. <laughs> It's and I'll never forget John yelling at me, and it's like, camera three, do you know what you're doing? I'm yes, on I've done this before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, again, only Dennis had told me. To, to, so the other guys in the crew was like, oh, we got a new crew guy, great. Yeah. Camera three, what are you doing? Yeah. You're killing me. <laughs> and I was. I, I, I had to make yeah, I, How long did it take you to, uh, to prove to somebody that you knew what the hell you were doing? I, I, I got there really quickly because once I realized the counter rotation of things, you know, if, if, if your right hand goes this way, your left hand, it goes that way. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, it's like a break in a clutch. And if you're a camera yeah. person and once you figure out the break in the clutch, it's like, Oh, I got this. Yeah. I was doing. So you guys went on the road together after that as a crew. Yeah. And then and what the, kind of stuff did you work on? Well, the, the cool thing is, so Mid, it was called Midwest Teleproductions and uh-huh. it was this, and it had a studio and they would do studio shoots, but all the live feeds for the arena, but they also had a remote truck. Yeah. And it was called, it was unit zero. Okay. So th- those would go to, uh, those would go around to different sporting events. Exactly. Then, or like so stuff we like had that? this, we had this, yeah. th- th- this, this remote truck that was held together by bailing wire and duct tape. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. It's unit zero. <laughs> so we had this remote truck that was held together by a guy named Jimmy Joe and some other direct and some other uh, engineers. But there were, there was a, we had a, a large Dodge van and it had five rows of seats and there were two guys per row with a cooler in the middle. And we had four camera guys, an audio, uh, a TD, uh, an EIC, which is engineer, an A2. There were 10 of us. I mean, we in the van, in the van. And it was so fantastic. I learned so much, you know, relative to different directors and different production. And, you know, at one point, as I guess it's ironic, um, I, was, I was the end zone camera at an OU football game one year, like, you know, four years after they kicked me out. 
and I was in a bucket truck over the end zone, and uh-huh. I was I was that camera. Yeah. There wasn't a camera in the end, like yeah, in the on scoreboard, the well, or in the scoreboard. Yeah. I was like over the scoreboard in a bucket truck. Yeah, and the power went out, and there's a storm coming, and I got to pee, and I'm up in this bucket truck, and I keep mashing the button to go down. Yeah, no power, nothing. Yeah, and then the guy, but down there, you know, he's mashing a button, not going down. Um, but I just learned so much about poise, you know. So they had to, I could get another bucket truck, bring it in. I had to transfer midair to get down so I could go pee. Have you seen the fish New Year's? Uh, oh my God, thing? where they did the elevation with yeah. the clones? Yes, above the stage. Yes. Did, did you see that? I did. Yeah. I did. Did you know Trey's platform got stuck? No, in fact, very spinal tap of him. Yeah. So, Trey's platform got stuck during about the third song. And they took the or, well during, after after the countdown. It's like they took a break, a long break, longer than it should have been. And right. it's like what happened? Everybody else's platform was down on the stage, and Trey's is up there moving awesome. manually. And he was stuck up there, and he just said, "Fuck it, I'm going to play the rest of the show from up here." <laughs> so is that what happened? Yes. And then very much like your story, after the the set was over. First off, he was like, all right, pretend like everybody left the stage. This is the encore because I can't get down and leave the stage for, for you guys to call us back for an encore. So they played their their encore. And uh, and then he was like, this is awkward. Everybody's still here waiting to see how I'm going to get down. And so they did the same thing. They put somebody on the platform right next to him. They raised the there, platform up. They lashed him together. And down comes Trey Anastasio playing the drum set. There it is. There it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. Same story. Yeah. So this is where we get back to college. So I get drunk and offered a job. Problem is, I got to go to college because I'm still in the middle of the, right. of the semester. Yeah. So, uh, so I I didn't flunk out on the um, on the ice capades. Actually, ended up doing pretty well, and uh, learned my craft, and then got in the van with these other nine guys. Yeah. And we would leave on Tuesday, go to Detroit to do a Red Wings game, and then maybe go up to Pontiac for a Pistons game. Then we'd go over to Ann Arbor for something. But then maybe we'd go to Champaign, Illinois for an Illinois versus Iowa. Anyways, because they had these contracts. Yeah. And all we did was provide production services. Yeah, and they tapped the feed in to the TV how, and however, it went. However that worked. Yeah. All I knew was— I You was, were shooting the show. Exactly. Yeah. I'm in the van. I'm now in a, in, a, in, a, in a bona fide production crew. Yeah. Although working unit zero. Yeah. Uh, but it was a bona fide production crew, and I'm doing it. Yeah. And I'm doing it. And uh, uh, so school was secondary. so the deal was I uh, went to my professors and I said I tell you what I got a job I have I have a job offer in the industry and I said I really think that this might be my big break I said if you will just agree to give me a C plus I said I'm only going to be in class on Monday because we would leave on Tuesday do a Red Wings game on Wednesday Pistons yeah. on Thursday. Yeah. Something, something, something. Full week. Come back on Monday, do our laundry, leave on Tuesday. Yeah. And that's just, that's, that was just it. For so you went to class one day a week and I made went a to deal cl- with your professors. And I told him, I said, I'll tell you what. If, I said, if you will cut me this deal, if you just give me a C plus. And of course, this is my recollection of the whole thing. But I think it's fairly accurate. <laughs> I said, if you give me a C plus, I will come into class on Monday. I will tell you where I've been, who I've worked for, and what I've learned. I'll, I'll give a presentation sure. to each of my classes. Yeah. To my classmates to, yeah. to, to tell them where I've been, what I did, and what I learned. And I said, at the end of the semester, you'll never see me again. Which they love that idea, right? <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, it worked. So then how did I that— I think it worked. I, I just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if you ever got the C-plus or not. Yeah, I just, it doesn't matter, That right? was my deal. Yeah. So then when did live production move into, like, 
to more uh, broadcast or you know, promo stuff? Uh, they were launching a new independent station in, in Cleveland, a WOIO, Channel 19. And uh, so I was just the PA. And that's at, a local affiliate of yeah, some sort? No, it wasn't affiliate. That's the whole thing. It was, it was owned by a, a, a broadcast company called Mallwright. And they would own these independent stations around, the, and they didn't have any network affiliation. All they showed was Gilligan's Island. Um, they syndicated stuff, and it was and, all syndication, all syndicated movies, yeah. and some live sports. Okay, gotcha. So, so this this promo game, did you realize that you liked that? I did pretty quick instead yeah. of live stuff. Well, uh, because it's kind of a marketing thing, right? Or it feels like you're you're trying to sell. Well, that's a show. just it. I mean, it, it's I mean, every promo should have a little you know, a little PT Barnum in it. I mean, that's the whole yeah. point. It's a promo. Yeah. So I, I became the, the on loan production guy. So I'd run edit or cart, yeah. cart the spots to get them in the beta cart machine or whatever it might be. But I'm like, well, I kind of, cause I was just, I was the hired hand. There, there was a, there was a promo guy and there was a promo assistant and I was just there to do what they told me to do. But the more they told me what to do, I'm like, Oh, this is kind of fun. So that, that was my first, that was my uh, really Sorry. my first foray into on-air promotion and the ability um, to tell a story. Yeah. Because up till then, I was only documenting things. I right. was only shooting right. what was you happening. Didn't, you didn't have a say in what happened. Exactly. Yeah. So you did? Did you notice pretty quickly that you liked being able to tell a story with pictures? Yeah, I loved yeah. the fact that I could uh, take um, uh, Mork and Mindy clips and uh, Happy Days clips and Gilligan's Island's clips and do whatever, do with them what I want. Right. And so that kind of got you onto your like network kind of promo path, I guess. Indeed. That, yeah. Indeed. I mean, I, so I, I did that between 85 and 87. Really enjoyed that. Directed a lot of things, you know, got, then got in back, got into directing, working with um, uh, different host raps, this, that, and other, you know, working with the talent that I had really never done before. Right. And after two years of that, I'm like, okay, I'm now 27. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's time to go get a big boy job. Yeah, yeah. What'd you and do? Turner. Turner. Um, Classic uh, movies. No, it was uh, it was TBS. They TBS. Uh, uh, I I asked anybody. I asked somebody in Cleveland. I said, hey, do you know anybody in Atlanta? I, I think it's time for me to go. Mm-hmm. And I've settled on Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Do we know anybody? So this, that, and the other, and I w- made the acquaintance of the head of. Honor promotion for TBS Superstation back at the time. Yeah. Back when they still had dual, they had dual feed. It was TBS Superstation and still TBS 17 because there was the, lo- the, the, the local T- 17 mm-hmm. feed and then, then the Superstation, which was going up against Every, WGN yeah. and all the other WOR big, big and cable that was happening at the time. Big heavy hitters. No, well, I mean, the big, big three at the time were, yeah, WGN, WOR, and, and probably TBS. Gotcha. How long were you at Turner? Uh, first stint. I was there 87 to 92. And that was all promo stuff? It was. I was hired as the uh, manager of sports promotion. So Mm. I was able to parlay my sports camera work Mm. and my directing and such that I did at Midwest and the directing I had done at WOIO. At the time, the Cleveland Force was an indoor soccer team, so very involved with their sports and all that. So I took that story, made a new story, and convinced TBS that I was their best Candidate for the sports, for the job for the for the manager of sports promotion. It certainly sounds like you were well rounded for that. Yeah, I, I yes, I mean I, I uh, 
I did it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So you said you had two stints at Turner then? Because yeah. you said your first stint was till 92? Yep, 87 to 92. And then in 92, for some reason, that was the whole, why, why does it happen? Because it happens, roll the bones. Um, the, 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 the head of the network at the time and didn't see eye to eye. So I quit. And I remember uh, my wife, Jenny, who we, she and I had just started dating. And she came over one night and said, how was your day? I said, great, I quit. <laughs> what do you mean? You guys were married at this point? No, no, no. We no. had literally just started dating. And uh, I just, just had enough. And I'm like, you know, I can do better than this. Of course, I, you know, 32, head of creative, corner office at TBS Superstation. Wearing a suit every day. Every day, suit, yeah. suspenders. Oh, WCW, that's the other thing. Oh, yeah, wrestling. Oh, wrestling. oh, yeah. I mean, the Ric Flairs and all those guys. Yeah. I got to work with all those guys. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was the best. Yeah. It was like the, Mr. You, T every day. Yeah, you, you were the executive. I was. I was yeah. the guy. In, and you in came the home and said, suspenders. hey, I know, I know that we've not been dating that long, but I just quit my job, and um, I, I promise it's going to be fine. Right, right. Well, and it was. So uh, freelance for a couple of years. Uh, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but long story short, um, ended up back at Turner in 90. My father died in September of 93. I got back to turn, back to Atlanta. It was, I went back to Cleveland to be with my father when, gotcha. he, when, when he passed. It's noble. And, um, yeah, dropped what I was doing. I'd just taken a job at Raycom, which is another yeah, heard of sports them. thing in yeah, yeah, Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. So I just got into Raycom, uh, heard the daddy was sick. I said, fine, good to know, got to go. They didn't like that. And they'd recruited me, had yeah, moved yeah. me there. Big deal. Director of advertising, yeah. going to do all this stuff. And he quits. And I quit. Yeah. Um, which turned weird. But yeah. um, went home to be with daddy, got back to uh, Atlanta in uh, February of 94, Went to work. I did a wonderful stint with uh, Turner Productions, but also with Turner Home Entertainment. What's that? It was a thing that existed before Time Warner bought Turner. Because obviously there's Time Warner Entertainment that does all their movies, all their directed directed video, direct releases. And then Turner had this own thing called T-H-E, Turner Home Entertainment, and that was their arm of marketing all of our stuff, all Mm -hmm. the stuff that Turner owned at the time. Gotcha. But then when... Uh, Time Warner bought Turner. It's like, well, it was duplication and someone's yeah. got to go. Duplicity. And, yeah. yeah, and it's not going to be us. Yeah. So off we went. That's Wall Street making decisions. But it was a matter, I mean, worked with them. I actually did a, a, a six-part documentary on a supervising producer of six-part documentary on Muhammad Ali. Worked oh, with this. Fun. Oh, it's incredible. Worked he had with, an oh, Atlanta was, tie, didn't he? Did he? Or, well, did I remember he, he lit the... I remember him lighting the torch at the Olympics. Well, no, he was from Louisville. He was from Louisville. Yeah, okay. Louisville. Gotcha. Maybe that's what you're thinking about yeah. is our recent trip to Louisville. Yeah, yeah we have been there recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also did this wonderful thing called Turner Adventure Learning, where I was the supervising producer on that. We had a wonderful staff of writers, producers. We, we tapped into Turner Production for all the production services. But basically, we worked with Turner Adventure Learning, and they would create a curriculum on something that they thought. So it was physics. We went to Charlotte Motor Speedway and use NASCAR as a way to explain physics. Yeah, it's Bio- like sports science now. The ESPN kind of well, but this was like Doppler effect and yeah. and um, uh, Ber- Bertulli, Bernucci, Bertulli. But I mean, it was like it was physics things, but you can use taught via NASCAR. Well, but just the, just the principles of how the yeah. car goes around yeah. the track and how it stays on the track when it's at these things and That's pushing a great both idea. force, friction, and traction, yeah. all this stuff. Uh, for biodiversity, we went to Costa Rica and did four one-hour live shows from the Costa Rican rainforest on biodiversity. 
They did a wonderful thing with Merritt Island down in Florida, and it was the the convergence of ecology and technology because Merritt Island shares boundary lines with NASA back at the day. You know, I think they still do, but this was back when the shuttles were still being Cape launched. Cape Canaveral? No, Merritt Island, that would be – it's not okay. – no. fact check. <laughs> uh, but anyways, was, we, did, we did like six of these, and they won multiple awards, this and another. But it was just so cool because, again, that was much like the guys back in Midwest, the people in the van. Yeah. This was the same people in the A van. family. It was, again, it was, yeah. it was that van family. It was that production family and the ability for people to know what, their, what the expectations were and, and the, the performance that was expected – and I mean, literally, the first show that we were broadcasting live from the Costa Rican rainforest, and it, and it took like a microwave from here to there, and they had to bounce it off of that and then capture it at a station in San Jose, which might hopefully, possibly, maybe, possibly, maybe, hopefully, possibly beam <laughs> that to a satellite. Well, we're doing the, we're in the countdown. You know, it's like yeah. fifteen. Okay, we're being at ten, and I at seven the signal went out, and we're like, oh, yeah. oh United Nations. Uh, did a show, uh, United Nations, uh, on political science. So it was just the most incredible thing. Yeah. But yeah, at cool. seven seconds, the, the, the signal went out, and oh, holy shit. It <laughs> did came it come back, back on it, too? It came back. It came back. <laughs> I, it might have been two seconds into the show. But, yeah, yeah, that's all yeah. right. But no, but it was, just, it was just a fantastic experience for us to be able to pull that off. Yeah, that's super neat. Um, the, van, the van thing, you've, <laughs> you've made a career out of making van families, haven't you? I really have. <laughs> I mean, I've been a part of your van family. It, it's it's it, it, a van family is important. Yeah, it is. Tra- there's something cool about traveling around uh, with a group of guys. You're setting up your tent in different towns, or you know, setting up your carnival tent, so to speak, and just creating something awesome together. You pack it all in the van or the truck or whatever, and off you go to the next, and, and you do it again. And there's this there's this uh, feeling amongst all of you at the end. It's like, man, we really did something there's cool. A, there's a rhythm of the day. Yeah, a little bit of high to it. Absolutely. You know? So in between, um, at some point, you ended up here in Knoxville. Okay. So uh, Time Warner merger, learned on my honeymoon that I lost my job, went to Home Depot for a couple years uh, in their corporate video group. Oh, uh, that, oh so, so it wasn't like you were you know, working in the lumber aisle. No, it was HDTV before Home there was De- an HDTV. Home Depot television? Yeah, back when everything, exactly, it was, yeah. Home Depot television. Yeah. And worked with a great group of folks there. Wasn't exactly my cup of tea. Um, then moved to- But that to, was working for a brand instead of a network, right? Or working for, um, you know, the first job you'd had that wasn't really working on the, you were more on the business side of it that time. Fact of the matter is, I learned an incredible amount from Home Depot, mm-hmm. Home Depot television. There was a fellow named Rob Hallam who taught me a ridiculous amount about communication. And about, um, I don't know if you want to hear this, yeah. but some of the things, one, one of the most important things that ever stuck with me that, that Rob taught me is communication. And when you're communicating, wherever whatever it is, whether it's a movie or this or that, whether it's a new Home Depot product rollout, whether it's a new best practice, whatever it might be, there's a gas gauge. And it goes from unaware to aware to understand, believe, act. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, whatever act is, you want somebody to uh, adopt this best practice. You want them to watch this promo, watch this movie. You want them to buy this product, whatever you want them to do. But you have to make them go through that life cycle of emotions. Or understand, yes, but more importantly is understand where your audience is coming into that gas cage. And how far you got to get them and where you got to get them from. Exactly. Where are they? 
unaware, aware, understand, believer, mm-hmm. act. Where are they in yeah. this? So that's a big thing. Yeah. And but that's something that I uh, that I learned from uh, from Rob at Home Depot Television. The rub there was I just come from an entertainment background, mm-hmm. and there's a uh, concern, rightfully so, at corporations that if you put a lot of money into a really snazzy video, and of course all I was was a really snazzy video was Mister <laughs> Snazzy Video. Right. That's all I want to do is make snazzy videos. Yeah. And but the problem is if you make a snazzy video and you show your people in the Home Depot aisles the people that are making whatever it is they're making and don't have enough people on the floor to mm-hmm. cover the thing they have to cover. But they've got a snazzy video. But they got a snazzy video. The question would become, well, how much you spend on that snazzy video? Because a couple more people on the floor to help me find a number eight screw would be handy right now. Bingo. Gotcha. And therein lied the rub with me and Home Depot. And I, you know, I, I, there was this organization, uh, ITVA. And it was the... Uh, Pro Max, or the um, it was the, it was the fraternal organization for business communicators. Okay, and they have an award show every year. Yeah, and and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but Home Depot had not won a lot of awards up to my arrival. They mm-hmm. they making stuff, but they just weren't getting the moving awards. the needle they, so much yeah, they on the awards. It. I mean, right. who knows if they're moving the needle on the, the business, right. which is really all Home Depot cared about. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit about a awards. Silly little ITVA award. Yeah. But the, one, the, the year that we were together, the two years we were together, one year we submitted 13 entries and won 12 awards. It's good odds. Well, so I'm like, hey, this is kind of working. It was kind of working. Yeah. But it just, it, it, just, it, it, just, it just wasn't the right fit. So there was a woman named Christine Flynn who, uh, when I was at Turner, the second stint, working for Turner Production and THE, uh, she had called me and heard about me and said, hey, I got a creative director job at Stars Encore in Denver. Do you, are you interested? And I'm like, no, I'm really happy here. I think I'm going to be getting married. Um, no, I'm happy. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I, I kept her card in my Rolodex yep. back when we had a Rolodex. I remember. Okay. I might still have mine. <laughs> uh, so long story short, when Home Depot, really, I realized, hmm. And then Jenny, my wife, had just come back from a wedding, and the wedding took place in Estes Park. Colorado. Exactly. Yeah. So she came back from this wedding in like September and said, my God, you've got to see Colorado. We've always talked about going. Estes Park. I said, really? I said, I just got a phone call from this gal named Christine at Stars Encore in Denver. She... <laughs> so first little bit of serendipity. So yeah. we ended up going to Colorado. Um, Moving? Yeah. Working? Ma- uh, working, moving, built a house. Mama there? was living with me. It was when daddy died. Mama came to live with me. Oh. Um, and That's cool. Yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. That's awesome. Until she got sick. Uh, but we moved out to Colorado, built this fabulous home uh, with Pikes Peak out the backyard, back door. And Jenny was working in um, their affiliate relations because she had done that at TLC at Discovery before. And I was creative director. Uh, there were 13 channels at the time. And Christine had six of the channels. I had seven. She had Encore. I had Stars. And we were co-creative directors. Gotcha. And we're still very, very close. And uh, I'll be seeing her shortly. But uh, we built this beautiful home, uh, built a home with with an apartment down below for Mama to live so she could be independent. We're upstairs. Pikes Peak's out the backyard. We're in Colorado. It's It's perfect. And then she became ill, and we realized that the money she had put into that home she was going to need for her care. Mm-hmm. So it took us 
18 months to design and build the house, and we lived in it for six months. Mm. And, and sold it? and Sold and it and came back to Atlanta. Came back to Atlanta. Did your mom come with you? Mama actually at that point went to Richmond to be with my sister. Okay. And Kathy had said, listen, she's been with you since daddy died. So this is what, 2000? Daddy died seven years before in 93. Mm-hmm. So she said, you know, she's been with you for seven years. I'd, I'd like to spend what time I can with her. Yeah. So mama moved to Richmond and Jenny and I moved back to Atlanta, Atlanta. because her father had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Gotcha. So she we thought some be, time with we needed family. to be, exactly. We needed to be yeah. on the East Coast. We, yeah. we loved Colorado. We, 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 we lived there long enough for it to get in our blood. Yeah. And literally for, I think I can honestly say that for a 10 year stretch, every vacation we had, we went to Colorado. Yeah. Whether it was Telluride, Bluegrass or Estes, whatever it was. Red Rocks, whatever it is. Whatever it was, every vacation we found ourselves in Colorado. I think it's great that you guys both were so close to your families that, you know, it, it, it made little butterfly effect footprints on your whole path and, and trajectory because it seems like it was really important you guys to spend time with your with your folks um yeah i mean it, it's a you know it was, we you know when you're young you don't know what you don't know yeah <clears throat> and when you get older and start to gain some perspective you just realize how important those people are to you and what they meant to you and the things that you wish you would have said or could have said and i mean jenny was telling the other day apparently there was a some sort of a, a maybe it was a on-air thing but people were asking Older folks, if you could have dinner with anybody, who would it be? And then they asked younger folks. No, the older folks wanted to have dinner with like uh, Jennifer Lopez and Daniel <laughs> Tosh. And and when the when the younger kids were asked who would like to have dinner with, the answer was always their parents. Really? And that would be my answer. Yeah. yeah. That's so sweet, Peter. I've always known you've been a family guy and that your family means a lot to you. I think that's really cool. And I love your wife, Thank Jenny. You. you guys are sweet. Um and you guys are part of my family. It feels like almost. Um, of course. Sometimes, yeah. So now, so what am I? What am I not covering? Because I'm, I'm kind of babbling, and I, I you want to talk. I want to get. I want to get to to us meeting, man. I mean, all the way because I still don't know about that stretch. How you ended up in? Uh, how you ended up here? You're, oh. st- you're still in Atlanta. As okay, far I'm as still I'm in Atlanta. We're yeah. still in Atlanta. Uh, Jenny has a, a a job with an agency out of Chicago, and it's just horrible. And. I'm now freelancing. So we moved back from Colorado, and I need to freelance. So on the way back from Colorado, we stopped in New Orleans in June of 2000 for a thing called Promax. Yeah, You know what Promax is? Promotion and Marketing Executives. It's a fraternal organization. Okay, I'm familiar. I guess you call it fraternal. I don't know. And we stopped in because I said, okay, I'm going to be going freelance because Jenny had gotten a job before we moved back. Yeah. We got to have a job of some sort. Yeah. So you thought you'd stop in New Orleans and 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 glad glad hand the goober smoochers? Exactly. exactly, I'm going to chum the waters. I'm going to glad hand the goober smoochers. And I ran into a dear old friend named Jeff Sears who freelanced for me on the Charlotte. He freelanced a number of jobs, but he actually did a package called Force Friction and Banking. With the Raycom stuff? No, with the THE stuff. Okay, gotcha. The Turner Adventure Learning. And he did a package for uh, Force Friction and Banking. I remember these things. (laughs) Ran into Jeff, and he had, was at HGTV in Knoxville. And he said, hey, I was at HGTV, and I've just moved over to a brand-new network called DIY. So this is late 90s? Or, 2000, or 2000. June of 2000. Okay. And I distinctly remember being at Home Depot. And I distinctly remember with my network background saying in a meeting, I said, hey, why doesn't Home Depot have a 
TV network about home improvement. We're the home improvement experts. Why don't we have a network about home improvement? Sure. And of course, I was told it would never work because no, no one's going to watch it. It would never work. Or that, that's, that's, and it might have been more of that's not our business. Yeah, we we we. Sell. But like two years later, they bought a NASCAR team and had a had Tony Stewart driving a car, which is coincidentally also not their business. Well, say that there you go. <laughs> so I didn't think my idea was too far afield, but apparently it was. So I thought it was again slightly ironic that my buddy Jeff uh, had just launched this new DIY network, and it was all DIY home improvement which was stuff. Do it yourself is what yeah, it do started, it yourself. and that was actually part of like their. You know, they're branding it first. The whole thing was do it yourself, whatever yeah. you want, whatever, you know, we, we always joked about, you know, we talked about do it yourself, you know, it's a like hang a door, paint a wall. You know, we always joked about the, uh, what are some of the things that you shouldn't do yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Colonoscopy <laughs> came up as <laughs> open heart surgery. One of the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Colonoscopy <laughs> came up as uh, one of the things you probably shouldn't do yourself. So, uh, so I ran into Jeff. And he used to work for me, and we used to do work together when we were freelance on projects. He's like, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to Atlanta. And he says, well, shit, um, I wish I would have known. He said, I just launched this thing up in Knoxville called DIY. When you get home, give me a call. Come on up. So I got home to, got back to Atlanta in June of 2000 and was in Knoxville, July of 2000, uh, chumming the waters. And by a week later, I had a, had a promo project. And started freelancing uh, consistently for scripts. Mm -hmm. And there was some mutual folks. I'd done some freelance work for the yeah, Weather it's Channel. It's got to be a small world at that point. At well, the level you were at, you probably knew a lot of people. Yeah, when I was freelancing back in Atlanta uh, after Daddy died, I did some work for the Weather Channel. The marketing manager there, Catherine Spray, where her father, oh, lo and behold, happened to be the president of HGTV at the time. Right. And somehow along the way, she'd mentioned my name to him. And I remember running in, I mean, and apparently she, he's like, well, what do you mean Peter's interested in moving here? Because, I mean, there was like this big thing. So like, why would he move here? Yeah. I, I mean, that was and a again, hard recruiting thing for the network at the time. Like, no, it wasn't. Was it wasn't? No. People people wanted to move to Knoxville? No, I saying? wanted to move. You now. did. Okay. We wanted to. See, now, see, yeah. now that's the whole thing about, you know, the whole life arc. You know, uh, uh, we wanted to move. Was, you know, we, we, we'd done the whole, so my, my route, just in case anybody is, is keeping score at home. I've got it, I think. Do you? Ahead, yeah. Does it go Cleveland? Atlanta, Charlotte, Cleveland, Atlanta, Denver, Atlanta, Knoxville. Uh, no, because Culver's in Indiana. Called well, that's military. high school. That, I'm talking career. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, if we're then talking, yes, if right. we're talking yeah. professional yes, career, right. yeah, that's it's that. <laughs> okay. Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, Cleveland, Atlanta, all over Denver. The, yeah. yeah, it's a star. So star by path. then, I'm like, okay, you know, we had this taste of Colorado. <laughs> Jenny had a falling out with her agency in uh, Chicago. Exactly. Yeah. And she came home one day just absolutely in tears. I've never seen her so upset. You know, I effing hate this place. I hate this house. I hate this city. Uh, I, I want to live in a shack on the side of a mountain. Well, Knoxville, Tennessee is not too far from the side of a mountain. So I said to her, I said, am I in the shack? Because, <laughs> I mean, she's chucking everything else. Yeah. <laughs> What's to say you should stay? Yeah. So I said, well, am I in the shack? She said, well, of course, you dumbass. I'm like, okay, well, how about Knoxville? So I came up here, and sure enough, there's Smoky Mountains. The day I came up, there was a dusting the night before, so now the Smokies are 
our flocks with lovely yeah. snow. Well presented, I'm sure. Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so started freelancing for uh, for Jeff and and Dusty at DIY and HGTV. Did that for a while. A job opening came up. Um, they thought I just wanted to freelance. I was happy being in Atlanta. We were actually having a shoot, a DIY shoot at my house on 9-11. You know, so it was lots Bummer. of, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, everybody's phone was on silent, and then they weren't. Um, you know, so I was, I was very involved. I mean, anything I could do to help, you know, shoot at my house, fine. As yeah. you know, yeah. don't ever let anybody shoot in your house. No, no don't but do I'm, that. Yeah. I had like three or four. I mean, you know, yeah. what did I know? And, and, I, and we just moved in. I don't care. Hey, it's a great set. Come on yeah. in. Um, done, doing all that freelancing, they thought I just wanted to freelance. A, a job came open. I said, hey, let's play the what if game. Yeah. What, how about if, I, took this what job? if I want that job? And they yeah. said, we can't afford you. And I said, how about if you let me worry about that? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we came in and I ended up uh, uh, here as um, director of special projects. And that was your first job there. Yes. Your first full time job there yes. at DIY Network. Yes. So, how did that play itself out? Because you were there for a while, right? I was. Well, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I worked for. I, I did DIY content from the day I started to the day I left, and really? I, that was July of two thousand. July of two thousand to April of two thousand sixteen. Wow! So sixteen years. All I did was. Uh, now we eventually merged. Eventually, DIY. At one point, it was DIY and HGTV were entirely separate. The home they merged, category, and then they merged them together to make this thing called the Home Category. Was that Travel Channel too, or well, any other that, networks? Well, there was the Home Category. Yeah. Then there was the Food Category, which mm-hmm. was easy because you got food and cooking. Mm-hmm. And then there was Travel Channel and GAC. Yeah. Gotcha. Did you keep the same job when you were at DIY that whole time? No. Or did you move around? A no, bit? I. Um, uh, it's Director just, of special it, it's projects is okay. where you started. Well, it was see special projects. That's always just I've always that feels hated. like you're on an island by yourself. And well, people- no, it feels like you failed at everything else that they've ever tried to call you, and now it's like oh, special projects. I don't know. I just I just like well, you were the director of this, and then, what do we? Oh, fine, just give them special projects. So. So I've always had this kind of stigma. It's like, don't call me a special projects. Please, not special projects. How about creative projects? You know, so I started trying to change We're, the yeah. lexicon. Yeah, yeah. But, change um, the conversation. But then I the finally embraced the special projects. Said, if you've got a special project, you need to come to more, comma, Peter. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Gotcha. Exactly. So that was the whole point. It's like, well, so would you, would you want to have someone come to you and say, hey, I've got a project for you? Or do you want to come to me and say, I've got a special project for you. <laughs> I think I'll take the latter, sir. There you go. So I finally embraced the specialness yeah. and let go of my previous hangup of the yeah. title of special projects. Okay. Um, so then, sadly, in 2009, so I got there in 2000. I took a full-time job in 2002. In 2009, sadly, Jeff, who— Jeff Sears. Jeff Sears, who was the gentleman who I met in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, he Got uh, you up here. Got me up here. Yeah. Uh, was my champion was yeah. my was my was my sponsor. Yeah, uh, he died in a motorcycle accident, and Sorry. he was he and his group were on our promotion, and I was this little special projects thing, and I had at the time an associate producer named Heather, and we did our own thing, mm-hmm. and we didn't really worry about the machinations of the bigger group because mm-hmm. we had our own stuff to worry about. Yeah. But that's also another life lesson. Don't 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 just pass off what's not really your problem. Because at some point it might become your problem, and you might you want mean? to know what's happening. Yeah. 
Well, Heather and I, we you know, we did upfront and we yeah. did the sweepstakes spots and all the affiliate marketing. I mean, yeah. we had a, we had in our own little projects in the or, special or projects, creative thing. projects or special projects. Yeah. But we, we were we were a two person band. Yeah. And we were under creative services, and we obviously we interacted with Jeff and all the folks sure. that were there, but we weren't. They were making promos, and we were doing all this other stuff that didn't fall into a promo bucket. Right. Again, sweepstakes spots, affiliate spots, uh, 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 viewership retention, mm-hmm. anything for affiliate marketing, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. It did, if they did promos, we did this, this, the other stuff. But we were in the same meetings. And we would, you know, see what was going on. I'm like, oh, jeez, kind of glad I don't have to worry about that. Well, then, sadly, Jeff passed. Yeah. Uh, they looked to me to be the head of the department. Right. So now all that was now under your purview. Was now, yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. How long did that keep up? I mean, I'm sure that was a just a mind fuck, man. Like you had um, it was your best, one of your best friends exactly. dying, and exactly. now you've got to. We lived in the same on. neighborhood in Atlanta while we were freelancing. We'd, he was like just over the hill, like five doors away. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. His and then have to fill his shoes. Yeah. And then they turned to me and say, here, you know, but, but you the, know, you know him better than anybody. You know what he was up, up to. Well, but it's, also, you know, the workings of the network and the people yeah. here, and you've made a mark for yourself, made a name for yourself. You're yeah. reliable, conscientious, diligent, all those things that Culver taught me. Yeah. And I mean, they're really, I don't think there was much conversation about going out of house to fill the position, but who knows? But no, but then it was, it became, uh, it became my thing, our thing. And then that just, you're right. It just added a, a layer of responsibility and commitment that I'd never experienced before. So now that you had this, this new position that was, sounds like it was a lot bigger. Did it come with a lot more uh, eyeballs, a lot more scrutiny? Because you, you may have been a little bit under the radar before with this special projects department with Heather, right? did this become a, a, a bigger deal? And did well, that we were, start to bother you a little bit after being this rogue unit? Well, then, and, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there was, you know, I'd always, we, we were under the radar. Obviously, HGTV is one of the cash cows along yeah. with Food Network. So they were far more concerned about that than DIY. Mm-hmm. They gave us our budgets. And it was my goal, our goal, to maximize those budgets. Sure. And I'm not going to get into, you know, what percentage our budget was to other people's budgets, but we Wasn't maximized it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was a fraction, but I, but I get that. I mean, yeah. Networks. I mean, HGT was a cash cow. I mean, why would, but the problem it's capitalism. is, but, 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 but the problem is, and this is what I really had some difficulty with uh, upper management. They, for whatever reason, thought that the, the, the video film, creative production that we were going to do at DIY somehow costs less than HGTV. And I'm like, well, it may not have the same reach, but the camera guy costs the same mm-hmm. audio. The, I mean, everything, everything costs the same. I, did, right. I mean, the people who are saying, yes, I'll work on that day. They don't know what network it is. They don't care, they don't what, care network what network it is. It is. They're exactly. making a day rate. Exactly. Yeah. But people, for whatever reason, felt that, um, DIY projects should just automatically be cost cheaper. less. I mean, yeah. you should look the same. I mean, but it should just cost us less. Right. That, that Were you ever able to achieve that? That I, pipe, that ma- pipe dream? <laughs> well, I maximized the shit out of those budgets and yeah. you, and that's where you guys came from. Yeah. I mean, that's where, you know, we, we realized that, okay, here, here, here's the rules of the game. 
I get them now. Mm-hmm. I understand. And that always fueled, I mean, you know, with, with, I mean, I don't think it was any secret to anybody who was at Scripps, but, you know, there was always, once they split DIY off of HGTV, was all, all DIY was was supposed to be a, a, a space holder. Back when digital cable was expanding and people were just like snapping up network channel space on, on lineups, they just peeled off DIY as a way to be a library service for HGTV, meaning just take all the stuff that HGTV already has mm-hmm. that no longer fits the mission, and all the woodworking, all the yeah. gardening, all that stuff. All the stuff that's too granular. Whatever it is, stick it over on DIY and let's hold space on channel whatever until we can figure out what to do with it. But then DIY, we kind of got our backup and we're like, well, we're not just going to be, you know, the place where you the triple A system. Or well, the, yeah, we're, yeah. We're not double A. Yeah. A very good analogy, Benny. Yeah. yeah we're not double A. So we got our backup and it, it was a fun little competition. Now, if you talk to HGTV, they're like, what do you, I mean, there was no competition. We didn't even notice you were there. Exactly. <laughs> well, oh, oh, you that little fly on her ass that one day back in July. Oh, yeah. But, 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 and I mean nothing by that, but I always said, that DIY network was the pot smoking little brother yeah. of HGTV yeah. because we could do whatever we wanted because mm-hmm. they weren't watching. They gave yeah. us our budget mm-hmm. and we held people by account and you know we did our you know our due diligence and people were held to account and they did their work and everybody did what they were supposed to do. But they okay, well if that's my money, okay, thank you very much. And we just maximized it and found people much like uh, yourself and Michael Underwood and some of the other folks who. It's like, okay, we don't have a lot of money, but we sure do have big ideas. Mm-hmm. How, do, how, how do we merge those things? Mm-hmm. And that's how you and I met. So do you think, because I kind of got to, I got in at this point, 2009, 2010, right around the same time where, you know, we got to do the same, the same quality of work, but for not as much money. And did, did they start to take notice of what you were doing at some point uh, that you were making these kind of high-end looking promos for half the money or, or, or even less than that and, and say, all right, well, let's pull them up from double a, is that what happened? Or is there another, is there a, a different way that you kind of got to where you got no, at the end there? No. Well, I think the whole thing, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too far into, let's just say that the people that we did work for ad sales, mm-hmm. affiliate marketing, ad sales, marketing, affiliate marketing, it, it was, it was a, a moment of pride for me when we would work on this thing called upfront. Yeah. And I can explain that if we need to. Can we explain upfront? Because I think it's kind of a, an interesting concept and it's something that a lot of people don't understand, but it's ubiquitous. It's all over the place with cable television. Well, upfront is the process that ad sales goes through every year. And it's a dog and pony show that was created years ago from the broadcast, just back in broadcast. The, the game is that in April of every year, the programmers, meaning HGTV, ABC, Fox, whoever it is, the programmers, trot out what they believe to be their next best slate of programs and talent. Mm-hmm. They do this dog and pony show in, in, in April. Then in June, July-ish, they close these upfront deals. So upfront, you get their advertiser commitment. Up front. So Home Depot, for instance, is able to buy advertising on HGTV. On, for yard crashers. Up front. Up front at a reduced rate. So you now start to gather your, your, your money and you realize how much money you have to produce these shows. 
So upfront is kind of speculation for a lot of advertisers then, right? Indeed, because you could launch 10 new shows and only eight of them might work. And right. if you, you, you hope you bet on one of the two that did work. So, so the networks are ultimately selling themselves to advertisers and saying, buy advertising space on our networks. And by the way, buy it now and you're going to get 20, 30 yeah, percent more a, for your money. It's a reduced rate, yeah. but the networks now have a war chest. Gotcha. So okay. anyway, so we so upfront was your jam. That was your. My, I was upfront was my jam relative to the creation of video projects for the presentation. So we would produce these videos. So we now go out, and it became a year. Everybody thought it's like, well, you know, upfronts in in April. You know, so if you start working in January, that'll be fine. So dun, 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 dun. you know, what are the shows? Who are the talent? Has anybody I, shot? I need anything? to be working on this for a year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and what I, I didn't mean for it to become a self fulfilling prophecy, but. It really was a year-long job. If, yeah. if you're really paying attention, you want to keep Well, it sounds your- like it's important, if, especially if it dictates, if it's the canary in the coal mine for what budgets the network have for that year. What's popping? I mean, yeah. you, you, you might put all your eggs in somebody's uh, talent basket and then, you know. Pfft. Yeah. So so I would produce all, uh, Heather and I and, 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 and a cadre of incredibly talented people, whether it's on staff, Todd Decker, Mike Kennedy, those guys, the editors, Great dudes, all of them. I mean, um, uh, uh, Jim Rogers, audio, whatever, you know, but then go to outside resources. But our, our goal was to produce these upfront videos. So let's say in an upfront presentation, let's say you have an hour. So that means, uh, food's going to get 15 minutes. HGTV is going to get 15 minutes. Travel is going to get 10. Uh, uh, GAC and DIY get five to seven ish, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's talking. So my goal was, what can I do in my five minutes to set the piano on fire? Because invariably, for whatever reason, they'd put DIY in the in the in the show schedule ahead of HGTV because HGTV was the mothership. Mm-hmm. So of course they've got to end the presentation with the mothership, with the grand the mothership. finale, right? So I always. Harken back to um, Jerry Lee Lewis opening for Chuck Berry and setting his piano on fire, sure. and saying, "All right, Chuck, <laughs> top that." Was that your? Was that what drove you? That truly was. Was that what made you? That 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 all those months that we were on the road together, shooting this stuff and, and gathering this content for you to go home and 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 sell this network. Was that what was driving you the whole time? Yeah, setting the piano on fire. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. No, truly. I mean, it's just because you know we we you know, we we had uh, an incredible roster of talent, but they were people that actually did things. I mean, you know, they were Josh Temple's a contractor, and Matt Blashaw's this, and the and all these you know Amy Matthews and all these. I mean, so I mean, I had on camera talent. You had a you had a bench of, yeah. of of good sellable talent, and they knew what they were doing with the sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah. you know. So I'm like, let's just. Let's just blow some shit up. Let's turn the world upside down. Let's flipty dipty. <laughs> so when did when did that take its next step? When they merged, so it, so DIY was all into itself. HGT was all into itself. They created a, a home category. I got a phone call on a Tuesday night that this was going down on Wednesday, and so now we're no longer separate. We're no longer the pot smoking little brother. We're mm-hmm. now. Yeah, hanging out with the older. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which we got to clean up our act. Look, it, it was clunky. I'm I, sure. I, I have a dear friend who it, 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 it was clunky. Yeah. It was just clunky. Um, because there was a little bit of this leftover residual attitude from the day that they split DIY off and said, here, why don't you just go run some crafting shows and leave us alone? 
Like, okay, well. And then now here you are, you're we'll back, and, you. you're run, and you're coming for their jobs, probably. Yeah, well, well, how they viewed it, maybe. Well, but then, so so we merged, and they they put uh, put me in charge of upfront for the whole category now. So now okay, I so have, now you had HGTV. Now I've got both so, of them. So that's when when we started meeting Mr. T and all all the big all the bigger talent that was on the. Well, at the, the, the time. biggest thing would have been when, <clears throat> oh, and then eventually GIC, GAC came along, and then yeah. I would start doing work. For the portfolio, which is, I remember doing a couple of uh, kickoff presentations for Upfront for the entire portfolio. All networks, yeah. all talent, all things. Some edits, Remember, everything, remember yeah. the Sofa Chronicles? The Sofa Chronicles in uh, L.A. Right. At, the, at that house in the, in the hills. Uh-huh. Um, and we had, we, we had the Property Brothers, David Bromstad, yeah. uh, Allison Victoria, yeah. Matt Blashaw. That was a six-camera shoot. It was six, yeah, and there were eight people on the sofa. Yeah. But I mean, so that was, that was kind of the beginning of that because – once we put this thing together, once they put this thing together and said, um, go, go help me help us promote this thing called the home category, my first thought was, well, we got home. It's like, you know, you, yeah. you can have all the, all the food you want. I mean, you, gotta, you want to eat food at home and you have all the music you want. You listen to music at home. I got home. It's like, yeah. you know, out of this entire portfolio, what do I have? I have this thing called home. So let's just build on you know people being together in a home yeah let's get 10 of our top talent top talent how, how we pulled all those folks together at this on the same day is beyond me me too and but put them on a sofa and just had them interact and it was it was it was it was joy it worked yeah so so you you were able to then take that um that kind of whole trip to the to the next level for for them for hgtv and for for DIY, you were able to kind of refine that. Uh, I mean, home is the first word of, of home and garden television, right? So mm-hmm. it was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting a little more sentimental at that time and hearing these guys talk about, you know, what it means, you know, to be at home and then crafting this whole, um, this home. Yeah, and then all of a sudden these, these people called the gains show up. But but yeah. that whole home and then sentiment. to the next level. But just so you know, that whole that whole home sentimentality thing, it didn't go over so well. It did not. No. No. Well, Not I mean, it was fine. Enough. It was fine. Too, too homespun? Yeah, I, I think folks thought I got a little sappy. Ah, yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, I mean, I... I, I Maybe I, you did. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's home, you know? I mean, it's, let's, let's, let's create really a place that something. you really... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would love to be at home with the people that I, that I love. And, yeah. You know? So I, 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 I went down a little bit of a sentimental, sappy thing, you know, measuring the kids on the door jam yeah. as they grew up. And it, it just, that seemed it like home to me. with the viewer? Did it miss? No, I missed with the executives. It missed with executives. Yeah. God, it didn't resonate there. No, the view, I, I, my understanding is it was extremely well-received. It just wasn't the yeah. uh, the projection that the executives at the network wanted to have. Yeah. We're not sappy. Stop being sappy. Yeah. We're I said, edgy. I said stop being sappy, Peter. Yeah. Peter? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're edgy. We're, come on. <laughs> faster, faster. Yeah. So okay. what are you doing now? Uh, well, we retired, both retired. You and in, Jenny both? Uh-huh. She, bless her heart, uh, put us on a, on, a, on, a, on a budget, and we stuck to it, and we're retired. She's now working at Mass General Store. Uh, love and life. Love and life. Helping, selling, selling. Down on the ground, playing with the puppies and playing with the kids and helping little ladies with their bunionettes. After, after being a, a television executive herself. Now yeah. she's just living in retail, loving it. Uh, but I did. I have recently gotten back into writing. I uh, I miss writing, so I did a project uh, with you and your your fine folks at Pop Fizz, mm-hmm. 
And I've also worked with a former boss of mine, Ross Babbitt, who is up in Lexington at a place called Wrigley Media. Just helped them with a, a pilot for a show. What kind of show? Uh, it's actually, I don't know. Can I say that? I don't know. If you want to. I don't want to say that. Okay. It's it's super secret so far. Well, it's not been sold. I mean, it, I, yeah. I, I delivered the pilot. Yeah. The client has really signed off on yeah, it. No. So this will be for part two that we get to mm-hmm. part two of the podcast that we get to hear about. Uh, well, I just um, have I answered. I mean, I, I, hell yeah, man! I'm ten times as smart and as educated as I were when we started. Well, it's just you know, I uh, being you know uh, approaching sixty this year. I guess I fall into that okay boomer category. Yeah. You know, so sure. I, you know, I, I distinctly remember wearing white gloves and working with film mm-hmm. and every frame of film was, was a valuable commodity. Was, yeah. Boy, that's not the case anymore. Is well, it? right. Yeah. You know, and you know, it doesn't used, have to be good. It just has to be done. There's that, <laughs> you know, there used to be a little thing called the three to one shooting ratio. Yeah. You know, you shoot, shoot three times as much as it becomes in an edit. If you shoot a. If you're editing a 30-second spot, you shoot 90 seconds of film. Which I still think is kind of crazy. I don't know who's, whose math that was. But it's uh, not— the, the, the line producer. It's not now like, you know, let, let's go shoot, uh, you know, two terabytes and yeah, see what we can make out of it. For a 15-second spot. Yeah, to see what we can make out of it. <laughs> yeah. So— The world's changed, man. It's changed. And even since you've—since you exited four years ago, it's it's changed still. And I'm, I'm amazed at how much it's changing. Stuff no. shot on a cell phone can— can get just as many viewers as a Super Bowl commercial like that. Well, I am um, I'm forever grateful and, quite frankly, amazed at uh, the career I was able to carve out for myself. Because, yeah. I mean, again— At the right time? I was a guy in and out of college, couldn't find my butthole with a funnel. Mm-hmm. You know, finally— <laughs> You should have been a pike at UT. <laughs> you know, I—, I and and. And I'm, I'm working a job. I get the invitation, get the guy, you know, get an offer. And literally, if anybody asks, tell them you've done this before. And it's just, it was, it was, it's, it's respect, it's discipline, it's uh, ingenuity, it's get up, dress up, show up. It's like all those, all those bumper stickers you've ever seen. It, it, all the cliches are true. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was for me. And, yeah. and, and I can honestly say. You know, in this day and age where you've got to have three internships and two fellowships and this, that, or, or the MBA, or this, I mean, I can honestly say that what I was able to accomplish and the responsibility that I was given and the people I was entrusted with and the people I had to interact with, you know, the heads of these multi-billion dollar, um, I just don't know that it's, it's, it's replicable at this point. Yeah, it seems it seems like there's a few more gatekeepers now. It was a lot more merit based then. Well, it and was. That, yeah. I distinctly remember uh, being at Home Depot and my supervisor there said, "Well, hey, this is great because we have a very generous tuition reimbursement program, and you'll now be able to get your your MBA." Did you say I don't have the qualified equipment? For well, that? no. I, 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 I think you really didn't read my resume, did you? It's like <laughs> I don't even have a, a. I have a B, nothing. A B A B F. I, I've got. I, it's like. I, I don't even have a college degree. You son of a bitch. I, no, but thank you for the job. Yeah, and of course, now I'm there. I've got the office and I've got the everything else. Like, so it's like, it's like, it's like oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> it got me again. Yeah. So it was, again, another get up, dress up, show up. Peter, I'm so grateful that you came by and ran through it all with me, man. It's super cool. It's awesome to hear your whole story. I've known you forever and I've not heard the whole shittery as you've 
put it before. It so. is a bit of a shittery, but no, I'm, I really do. I, I'm so grateful and blessed. Uh, I've made, made so many friends, so many acquaintances. Um, you know, I think I ruffled a few feathers, but I, it was a matter of um, expectations. Yeah. I just, but standards. also, well, standards, but also, you know, if I made some decisions through my career that folks didn't particularly uh, understand at the time, I hope they understand that it was my wanting to put them in a position to succeed. Yeah. And sometimes people don't get, they don't end up in the right position. They I have know, talent, they have, they have de- desire, they have all these things, but they may not just be in the right job. And it's just yeah. a matter of, you may not like what I'm doing right now, but trust me, I only want you to succeed. I know that about you. And I think it's awesome to, I'm glad you're aware of it too. Yeah. I love you, man. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so I, much. For I hope you by. got something out of this. I don't know what in the heck. We got a lot out of this. Okay. Well, no, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to know you and your family thank and you. I, 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 you've embraced me for all these years. And um, again, I'm, uh, I am somewhat of a string cheese fan. Ah, let's do it again sometime. Thank you. There it is. Thank you guys for listening. Appreciate it a lot. Keep listening. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, all that. Again, much gratitude. Thank you guys so much for listening. Keep it up. We'll see you next Monday on South of Scruffy Podcast. We out.